What's the most important thing to keep your car humming as long as you can? Change your oil, right. We're about to go back to Ohio where my papa calls it old. <laughs> you got to change, change that old to keep that car running. And I was thinking about oil, how what it does is it gets in the engine of that car. And where all those pieces are moving, those pistons are pumping and other pieces that I don't even know what they're called are, are grinding. That oil gets in there and enables them to do it smoothly without the engine shutting down and without that friction shutting the whole vehicle down. And I thought about the early church a little bit. Just as oil keeps an engine from shutting down with all the friction, I think the oil in the early church that obviously comes from the Holy Spirit, who is often referred to as oil, that kept that engine running through all of the friction, the oil that kept it running smoothly was encouragement. And I specifically see that in the life and ministry of a man named Barnabas. And I want to talk a little bit about Barnabas tonight because I think we need to wrestle with a couple questions, ask God to show us a couple questions. Are we a people that, that are busy about the business of encouraging each other? I want us to think about who am I encouraging in my life? Who am I speaking life into and who is doing that for me? Because would, would we all admit that there is a world full of friction out here? In here sometimes. Sometimes it's interpersonal relationships. Sometimes our personalities just rub each other and we get a little friction going. A little encouragement there will help that. I wasn't looking at you at purpose, Randy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, where are you supposed to look when you say that? No. <laughs> There you go. Good idea, Keith. I look at the floor when I say that stuff. Sometimes it's the enemy, obviously. And I think one of his master tools is the tool of discouragement. He loves to slip in and just discourage us, especially as we're serious about going into the world and, and shining the light of Jesus. Sometimes it's, it's trials. I, I went this morning to a memorial service. Mon Monday afternoon, I was in the the bedroom of a young man, 29, that was in my college ministry five years ago at the Heights. His mom and dad uh, woke up to find a, their 29-year-old son dead in his bedroom, one of four boys. Medical examiner said it was one too many monster energy drinks that stopped his heart. One more story like that. I've heard too many of those sat in that memorial today and his, his own father who was a pastor gave the message and his three brothers spoke and that's friction they, they didn't see that coming last Sunday when they were sitting in church but Monday there it was there's, this world has plenty of friction we, we need some oil and, and I think there's some stuff we can learn from Barnabas about how to encourage each other as we step into this world of friction so what I want to do is Share a story from Acts about Barnabas. This is the second half of Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at that story. We're going to read through it. And then I'm going to pull from a few different places in Acts just to give us a well-rounded picture of what this Barnabas was driven by, what, what characterized his ministry. What did he do that made him such an encourager? And as we do, I want you to keep this in mind. Any, any of you guys have nicknames growing up? Nicknames? What was yours? Deuce. Now, how'd you get the nickname Deuce? <laughs> Were you good at basketball, two-pointer? No? 
Anybody else? Any nicknames? Adamant? Wait, let me hear this Adamant. What was that about? Oh, Madman. Wow. This is one of our elders here. How how do we get that nickname, Madman? Okay, Madsen, Madman. Cool. Now, what do you got, Keith? Uh, I got a couple. um, uh, Keo. Okay. What's the story behind Keo? I've got no idea. I don't know what it calls that. Kind of starts with the Keith and then goes into an O, right? Okay, cool. Well, nicknames. Barnabas is actually a nickname. The dude's real name, according to Acts chapter 4, was Joseph. The apostles watched his life, and it says they gave him the nickname Barnabas, which actually means son of encouragement. That was his nickname, and it so characterized his life that that's how, how we know him now. They must have seen this is just part of who this guy is. And what, what, Wouldn't that be a cool thing if people looked at us like that? That's a son of encouragement right there. Or that's a daughter of encouragement right there. Encouragement basically has two meanings before we dive into the story. One is kind of the, the halftime talk the coach gives to his team to keep on going. You're down right now. Get back out there and give it your all. The game's not over till the final whistle. Keep going. I know you're tired. I know you're worn down. I'm going to exhort you to go out there and give it your all. Remember the Titans Friday Night Lights, you can think of a number of movies that have great halftime speeches. That's one sense of encouragement, to exhort. You'll see that Barnabas does that. The other is to comfort, uh, to come alongside someone like this family this morning, to come alongside a family like that and administer healing and strength at their moment of deepest need, consolation. So you got the exhortation, you got the comfort. Let's dive into the story and read about Barnabas. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks or Gentiles, non-Jews also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, before we go on to the next slide, you guys will remember, to us, that's not not big news. We talk to Gentiles about Jesus all the time, hopefully. I hope we're busy doing that, and Jews. But for these guys, this was a new chapter in church history. Because up till this moment, the Jews were under the belief that, hey, if you're going to come to salvation through Jesus, first you've got to become a Jew. You've got to be a Jew, go to the temple and do all this stuff, and then you can be saved by Jesus. These Gentiles out there, They can't just come straight to him. But then Peter met Cornelius, a Gentile centurion, and he and his whole household got saved. So the early church is getting used to this idea. Now some of them are going to Antioch. And you talk about friction. Antioch compared to Jerusalem, all right? Jerusalem is the hub of Judaism, the temples there. You got all these Jews that are ceremonially clean and all that. Antioch, we know from history, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Some people call it the New York City of the Roman Empire, second only in wickedness to cities like Corinth. There were like 500,000 people in this city, so it was huge. It had a huge four-mile highway going down the, the middle of it, and it was one of the only cities in the Roman Empire that actually had lights along their street, pretty advanced. But they worshiped a goddess named Daphne. 
And this was not the innocent redhead you remember from Scooby-Doo like I do. <laughs> this, not all. I'm going to get in trouble talking about redheads. Sorry, Carol. Uh, <laughs> um, this Daphne, the worship of Daphne was associated with all sorts of immoral practices. And so you can imagine the church in Jerusalem hears about the, the early disciples telling these people in Antioch about Jesus. They're going to want to find out what's going on. And so it says in the next verse, the Lord's hand was with them in Antioch and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So not only is the gospel being spoken in this wicked city, people are getting saved. I love that about my God, that he's not hiding from the Antiochs of the world. He's going in there and saying, I'm going to get my business done. I want to advance my kingdom in the darkest parts of our world. People turn to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They already knew him as the son of encouragement. They said, let's send him down and, and see what's going on. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he looked around and saw all these people that had been worshiping Daphne, now worshiping Jesus as their Savior and Lord. He was glad. That, that kind of news ought to make us glad when we see people giving their lives to Jesus. It, it made him glad, and, and he, then he turned around and encouraged them. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Imagine how important that was living in that city, right? So many options around him, and he said, stick with it. You've made the right choice. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Amen. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. We're going to talk in a little bit about that little line there full of the Holy Spirit and faith. It's not just incidental. That is exactly why he was such a man of encouragement. And we'll talk about how that can apply to us as well. Verse 25, And Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul was over there preaching, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So something about the way these people are living there, the unity, the love, caused those people around them to say, those people are little Christs. They're Christ followers. They're Christians. This was where it started. And last couple verses before we start dissecting a little bit. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples in Antioch, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So having read that, I want to talk about it with you a little bit now. Like, what was it that Barnabas did that made him such a, an encourager? They brought such peace and harmony where there could have been intense friction. And I want to talk about four words with you guys. We're going to break them down a little bit and look at our lives and see if this characterizes us. Uh, the first word is welcome. The second word is connect. The third word is launch. And the fourth word is inspire. I want to start with that word welcome. And we get it from the, the passage we were looking at and even a little prior. Do you guys remember what happened in Acts chapter 9 when Saul was on the way to Damascus and he got knocked off his horse and he got saved? And then 
the reaction of the early believers. You remember their first reaction? Yeah, right. Yeah. Saul? Yeah, that's the dude that was mowing down my family. That's the dude that locked my sister up. Yeah, he, he loves Jesus. Yeah, right. Well, he shows up in Jerusalem, Saul does. And listen to what the response of the early church was. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now, you can put yourself in their shoes. I imagine we might be a little bit scared too. This guy didn't just write them nasty letters. He, he oversaw murders and imprisonments. But I want you to watch Barnabas how Barnabas welcomed him into the early church, no matter what his past looked like. No matter what his past looked like. It says Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And then Barnabas tells them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. It's like Barnabas knows all these people are skeptical, but he, he takes this encouraging step and says, hey, Saul, come with me. I'll, I'll walk you in there. I know these guys and I know you. This guy really did believe in Jesus. His life has changed. I accept him. I want you guys to accept him. And I want you to see what happens. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. For a time, he moved about freely. It did not last. It says he talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. Uh, so <laughs> he had a little window there thanks to Barnabas. But what I want to ask us in light of are we encouragers is as we are out there taking the gospel to people in our world that need Jesus, as we see people walk into our church that we don't know or maybe more importantly we do know and we know their background, we know he did that or she did that or this was her lifestyle. Are we going to be like that early church in Jerusalem where we kind of like, eh, that's, eh. <laughs> no. Or are we going to be like Barnabas where we put our arms around those folks and say, yeah, I remember when Jesus saved me too. I love you. I want to invite you into our fellowship, into our missional community, into our weekend service, into my home, whatever it is. I pray that's us. I pray we're welcomers. You guys all know the name Jackie Robinson. How many of you have seen the movie? Was it good? Thinking about maybe seeing it in Ohio. Should I? Cool. How many of you know the name Jackie Robinson? First, first African-American player to play regularly in the, the major leagues. Brooklyn Dodgers. From the 1880s until his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 5th, 1947 first base. 67 years, there hadn't been an African-American playing regularly in the major leagues. What, what a huge step. What a great step. But how many of you know the name Leo DeRocher? That was the manager, the white manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. When, when Jackie came up, you can imagine the, the uproar at that time, even on his own bench in his dugout. Much of the team was like, if he plays, I quit. Friction. And you know what the manager said? I'm going to edit it. <laughs> this is not going to be pure baseball manager speech tonight. <laughs> he looked at his team and he said, I don't care if the guy is yellow or black or if he has stripes like a zebra. 
I'm the manager of this team, and I say he plays. What's more, I say he can make us all rich, and if any of you cannot use the money, I'll see that you're traded. (laughs) And that's part of what turned the tide for Jackie Robinson breaking into Major League Baseball, because a white manager boldly put his arm around him and said, I don't care what color he is, he's playing here, and if you don't like it, you can leave. He welcomed him to the Major Leagues. Are we that kind of people when we welcome people into the church? Even when it's unpopular. Even when people look at us and say, that guy used to be an active homosexual. You can't bring him in here. Yes, I can. He came to Jesus. And even if he hasn't yet, he needs to. I don't care what group it is. We talked last week. I don't care if it's an abortion doctor. I don't care if it was somebody who was practicing Islamic jihad. Jesus longs to save all of us. So he welcomed, he welcomed him. And, and when you welcome people, it requires a graciousness. It requires this mindset that, wow, I'm not perfect. I've fallen short. God's forgiven me, so I'm going to pass that on. And I want to show you one other place where Barnabas showed this. Later on, and we'll talk about it in depth when we get to Acts 15, Barnabas and Paul went on one journey with Mark. Mark was Barnabas's cousin. And evidently on the first journey, at some point, Mark bailed on him, said, this is getting too hard. I'm getting out of here. And so it's time for Barnabas and Paul to take a second mission. And Barnabas wants to give Mark another chance, but Paul wants nothing to do with it. It says, Barnabas wanted to take John on the second trip with them. You see it again. He's looking. He's like, yeah, this guy bailed on us the first time, but I want to give him another shot. How many of us have bailed at some point? I have. How many of us are thankful for second shots, third shots, 500 shots? Barnabas was like that. He wanted to take him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. Who's right? Who's wrong? That'd be an interesting chat in heaven someday (laughs) between Paul and Barnabas. If you pushed me, I'm not going to say I know, but if you push me, I'm thinking if I'm Barnabas, I'm looking at Paul and saying, "Uh, Paul, this dude didn't kill any Christians. (laughs) He just left us on one trip, all right? Remember what you did? I could be wrong. I say that humbly because I love Paul. I love Paul. You know, some would say if Barnabas was wrong, he was too lenient. If Paul was wrong, he was too stern. I don't know, but I do like the heart of Barnabas here. Let's give him another shot. So they parted ways and Barnabas took him on that second shot. The cool thing is, even though they disagreed, God continued to use Paul, continued to use Barnabas and Mark and his kingdom advanced. I like that about Barnabas. The next word was connect. I think people of encouragement naturally connect believers with each other. They connect churches of different stripes and backgrounds together. They they focus more on the, the core things that unite us than the little things that make us different. I think that's a key part of what encouragers do. And you you see that partially in the passage we just read. Uh, When it was time for Jerusalem to send somebody to Antioch, it was Barnabas that connected the two cities. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Connection. Then at the end of the chapter, when the church in Antioch discovered that the church in Jerusalem had some needs, who was it they sent to reconnect with Jerusalem? Barnabas. They sent their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 
I think if we're going to be people of encouragement, we got to be people of connection. I like this story. Some of you guys will enjoy this about unity and connection, which, which by the way, I mean, last weekend, how amazing was that? Day of service with six or seven churches just saying, hey, let's set aside the names for a while. We're all going to put on the same orange shirt and people from four or five different churches out there just loving on our community. Night of worship, tons of churches coming together, singing Jesus praises. Wasn't that amazing? Tonight, we got our friends from the Global Outreach Church in Prescott, Neil and Shannon are here. They're the pastors over there, the welcome. I love the, the unity. We just met them at Scott's Missional Community a week or two ago and uh, enjoying getting to know you guys. Glad you're here. But there's kind of a funny story about uh, how silly we get about our divisions sometimes. Uh, it goes like this. Two men met on a plane, and one man asked the other, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I am. Wonderful. Are you Protestant, Catholic, or Orthodox? I'm a Protestant. That's great. So am I. Are you Calvinist or Arminian in your theology? I'm happy to say that I'm a staunch Calvinist. That's fantastic. So am I. If you don't mind my asking, are you a Calvinistic Baptist or a Calvinistic Presbyterian? I'm a Calvinistic Baptist. Well, what a coincidence. I'm a Calvinistic Baptist too. Are you a Northern Calvinistic Baptist or a Southern Calvinistic <laughs> Baptist? <laughs> by heritage and by choice, I'm a Northern Calvinistic Baptist. Unbelievable. So am I. May I ask you if you're a Northern regular Calvinistic Baptist or a Northern conservative Calvinistic Baptist? I'm a Northern Conservative Calvinistic Baptist. This is truly astounding. There are only 200 of us in the world, and two of us happen to meet on this airplane. Tell me, sir, would you happen to be a Northern Conservative Calvinistic Baptist Convention of 1844 or a Northern Conservative Calvinistic Baptist Convention <laughs> of 1868? I'm a Northern Conservative Calvinistic Baptist Convention of 1844. This is a miracle. Are you a Northern Conservative Calvinistic Baptist Con <laughs> Convention of 1844 King James Version or a Northern Conservative Calvinistic Baptist Convention of 1844 New International Version? I'm a Northern Conservative Calvinistic Baptist of 1844 New International Version. With that, the first man ceased to smile, turned away, and refused to speak any further to that heretic. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, but sadly true, huh? I'm not saying we lay aside truth. We, we hold on to the truth of God's word. We hold on to what Jesus did and who he is. And there is no other way to salvation. But on some of these other things, guys, we need to operate with grace and humility. Right, Evan? No? <laughs> okay, he told daddy. I hope we're people that are, that are busy about connecting. Uh, are, are you looking for the opportunities in your life? to connect believers of different stripes together, to connect churches of different stripes? Are you a unifier? Am I a unifier? I hope so. Uh, next word I, I wrote down was launch because he really helped. When, when you think about everything that Paul means to us, like all the letters he wrote that have shaped our salvation for centuries and all the cities he went to, We've got to go back to Barnabas because Bar it was Barnabas that through his encouragement really helped him launch his ministry. And we see it in this chapter. Paul's over in Tarsus, which is where he was originally from. It says, Barnabas went there and looked for Saul. 
And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Evidently, Barnabas was already had a key role in that church as a teacher. But he goes and grabs Saul, and he says, For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And I just can't help but wonder if part of what the, the city saw there that led them to call them little Christs was Barnabas was not about Barnabas. He, he was so about the kingdom of God. He was so humble. He was willing to bring another teacher alongside him and say, hey, you work with me. Let, let's do this together. That requires a generous spirit. It requires a spirit that says, hey, this church thing is not all about me. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about my glory. It's about all God's people using their gifts in a powerful way. And we know he had a generous spirit way back from Acts chapter 4 where we learned his nickname, Son of Encouragement. It says back then he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. How so the apostles could take it and meet the needs of the poor. So we know he was generous financially, but I want to show you also how he was generous in his relationship with Saul. Watch this progression throughout the book of Acts. Watch the order of the names. In Acts chapter 13, and we'll get there in a few weeks, but I just want you to see this. They're talking to a proconsul, an intelligent man, and Luke says he sent for Barnabas and Paul. Whose name was first there? Barnabas. That's how Luke puts it. Evidently, at this point, Barnabas is the lead of this team. That's the way it looks, and that's the way it reads as you get into the passage. Shortly after in that, that passage, as they minister together, you don't see Barnabas's name at all. From Paphos, Paul and his companions. Guess what? One of those companions was Barnabas sailed to Perga. And then you get to the end of Acts chapter 13. Many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. What's the order there? Paul and Barnabas. And is there anywhere where you see Barnabas throwing a fit about not being recognized as the front man anymore? No. And that's instructive for us. Like when we, when we work with other people in the church... We need to realize it doesn't matter if I'm the one getting the, the spotlight or the glory. What matters is that God's kingdom is advancing. And what matters is, am I multiplying? You know, disciples are supposed to multiply. We're supposed to train others up with what God's passed on to us so that they can grow up and train it for somebody else and create this movement that's very dynamic. I wanted to think of a modern-day example of this, and i got to brag on one of the churches that we work with, the, the Ridge Church. We have missional communities that we partner with with them over in Prescott Valley. And one of the guys that's lived this out so well, Wade Mansfield is the was the pastor over there that just recently retired. And I first got to know Wade about three years ago. And as he talked about, hey, I, I feel like my time is coming soon, it's time for me to retire and pass the baton to someone else. One of the things he told me over and over again, and we prayed about a lot, uh, we even prayed about our churches merging because we loved each other so much, but it wasn't, wasn't right. But he said, I, I want to uh, pass the baton well. I don't want to stay here just because I think I need to stay here. When it's time, I want to pass it. Thank you. And I want to pass it well. And through that process, he prayed and number of months ago, he started bringing another buddy of mine, Will, who is an associate pastor elsewhere, brought Will on staff and started to let Will preach. 
that will meet with the people while Wade was still there. And a lot of times you don't get that transition period. The first guy leaves, another guy comes in. He stayed there with him for I don't know how many months and, and gradually handed over the ministry to him until they finally had a barbecue where, where Wade said his goodbyes. And his plan, as far as I know it, after a three-month break, is to come back and still be a part of that church as a retired pastor and sit under the ministry of this younger man named Will. I thought, what a cool example. When it, whenever it comes that time for us to pass off a ministry, whether it's me as a pastor or you in your missional community or you in your neighborhood, some things going on with neighbors or wherever it is, are, will we have the same sort of willingness to just pass that off for God's glory and, and get out of the way and let it happen? So he welcomed, he connected, he launched. And the last one I love is he inspired these people with his words. Uh, it says, when he went down to Antioch and saw what God was doing, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and he encouraged them. He said, remain true to the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart. And, and when, I, when I think about Barnabas' words, that's like the halftime talk right there. Don't let go. Keep fighting. And I thought about what Proverbs says, 1821. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Your tongue, my tongue, has the power of life and death. And I saw this illustrated this week in two different ways. One was the, the power of death. And in some ways it seems like a small thing, but in other ways it bothers me that even at young ages this starts with kids. Please don't tell Jaden I mentioned this to you. But I think it fits. His last day of school that he went to, he's got this cool Superman shirt that his mom got him. got the big S on it. And... Uh, he was saying he didn't want to wear it. And I was like, why? He's like, I don't like it. It's not cool. And I, so I was like, man, I'm going to have to look into this. Why is Superman not cool? Like, he's always been cool to me. So I asked him, why is, why is that not cool? And he said, there's a kid on the playground that said that doesn't mean Superman. It means suck. And so he wanted to wear his jacket all day to school to cover up his Superman shirt. And so I, I tried everything I could. I showed him the trailer to the new Superman movie. I'm like, see, this dude flies, man. Watch, watch him wipe out the bad guys. You know, look at all these powers he's got. He's awesome. But even after that pep talk, he wore his jacket on an 80-degree day. I told him he could take it, but and he ended up wearing it all day. And, and what I thought about that, well, that's a, a playground lesson, you know, once that kid said that negative word, no matter how much awesome stuff I told him about the truth behind that letter, it didn't sink in. And I think that's sometimes true with us. Sometimes it just takes one word that we say to another believer or an unbeliever that just cuts in there. And that one word can damage so deep that it just takes years of other people or yourself after you repent trying to speak the truth back into their lives. To speak the truth of this is really how Jesus sees you. That Even that guy that I went to the funeral for today, that 29-year-old, one of his best friends got up and spoke, and he was a, a caring young man. Uh, he was the kind of young man that understood God's forgiveness for everyone else. So you could sit down with him and share what you were struggling with in your walk, and he wouldn't judge you. And he would assure you that God loves you despite that. And Jesus died to cover that. But when it came to his own life, she said he never could really believe that, that Jesus loved him. 
he, he, he trusted in that, and he was a Christian, but he had this ongoing struggle. Is that really how God sees me? And, and his dad said that even when he died in his bedroom, what struck his dad, because his dad knew he had that battle too, was where his eyes were facing when he died was a poster on his wall that was a verse from the Old Testament where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And his dad says, almost like God could have waited till he got to heaven to tell him that, but he wanted to see even as he took that journey, I do love you with an everlasting love. And where I'm going with that is, in our encouragement, we have the power to help people see themselves as Jesus sees them. And hopefully we can encourage ourselves with the truth of a God who loves with an everlasting love. I think about this encouraging word too. I also think of something that just happened that I thought was kind of funny at our house. I had this professor named Dwight Perry at Moody Bible Institute. And I loved him. It was an uncomfortable class because we, we would uh, video, he would videotape our sermons. And then you'd have 20 guys in the class that, I, that part, you lost me. That was horrible. Some of you guys would love that in here, wouldn't you? That's why we don't do it. No. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, if you've ever done a speech or art or anything, it's, it's personal and, and sometimes it's painful. But a conversation he had with me is, uh, I, I think I was 19 when I took that class. I'll, I'll never forget. And I came out of the class and I told Carolyn what he said. He's like, hey, I believe you have the, the gift of preaching. In the next four years of Bible college, I just... That went through my mind over and over and over. Just this year, though, <laughs> I was looking at an alumni magazine from, from Moody Bible Institute, and there was a young man in there talking about his church. And you know what he said that Dwight Perry told him when he was in his class that got him preaching? You have the gift of preaching. And you know what it got me wondering? Does, does he just say that to everybody that goes through there? <laughs> but then I thought, I don't care. You know, because his words of encouragement just gave me a passion for the teaching of God's word. And I don't know if I got it or not, but he encouraged me and I'm not stopping because he encouraged us. And I think, man, are we doing that with the people around us? When we see the, the gifts in their lives, are we stopping for a minute and say, wow, I saw that, that gift of teaching you had at Missional Community the other night or that gift of mercy or that gift of prophecy or whatever it is. I saw that come out of you. And I appreciated it. We needed it that night. Thank you for, for sharing your gift. That was Barnabas, and, and hopefully that's you and I. So I think as we close tonight, where I want to land is just this did not come of Barnabas himself. It wasn't just that Barnabas was in and of himself a, a wonderful guy. It says where it came from. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And I know if you're like me, you look at Barnabas and you say, man, I want to be like that. I can't give you a do 10 things and you'll be an encourager. All I can do is point you to the Holy Spirit and to faith. Even the very Greek word, parakaleo, that means encouragement, sounds so much like one of the words for the Holy Spirit. Parakaleo is encouragement. Paraclete is Holy Spirit, comforter. So this is not incidental that he's full of the Holy Spirit. You think about these words with the Holy Spirit. Welcome. Isn't he the one that welcomes us into the family of God when he brings us to spiritual life and says, you can call him Abba Father? Says the Spirit tells us that. He welcomes us in. He connects us. He says he baptizes us into one body. 
He launches us and inspires us in ministry. Acts 1.8 says, He will come upon you and you will receive power to go into all the world. So everything you're seeing Barnabas do is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. And the faith, the faith that it requires to encourage looks back and believes in what Jesus did on the cross. That Jesus really died for this person that I'm talking to. That he really loved them enough to spill his blood. That should probably alter the way I speak to them. Whether I speak words of life or, or words of death. Uh, faith that one day we'll, we'll live forever in, in a place where it's all comfort and there is no more pain. And that's what gives me hope to, to carry on through the trials today. That faith that looks back to the cross and looks ahead to heaven enables us to then pour that encouragement into other people. And I think if I could land this plane tonight, I just want to encourage you all with that, what that poster said that young man as, as he died and went into the arms of God because it's true of everyone in this room whether you have believed in Jesus or not that God has loved you with an everlasting love John 3.16 says he so loved the world that is everyone in the world so you don't have to wonder if you're loved by God tonight you are loved by God so love the world that he gave his only son that whoever, there's another one of those big words, whoever, anyone, no matter what road you've traveled, what you've said, what you've done, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I'd encourage you, if you've made, made your decision to rest in that, to trust in that, to confess your sin and turn to him for salvation, know that you're right with him. And if you're here tonight and you're saying, I don't know if I've ever made that decision, I'd encourage you to, to pray along with me. It's not the words. If you agree with this, it's, it's the prayer of your heart and the faith behind it. Just to say, Father, I'm so relieved tonight <laughs> to hear that you love me with an everlasting love. I'm relieved to hear that you sent your son to die for me that his blood paid for my sins, that Jesus really did pay it all. I believe that. I rest in that. I confess my sins and admit my need for what he did on that cross. And I believe that he rose again to, to conquer my sin, death, hell in my place. And I accept him tonight as my Savior, the only one that could save me. Lord, I pray for for those of us who, who have made that decision, may we be a group of encouragers. Thank you for Barnabas. Man, what a cool guy. He didn't care. He didn't care about being in the background. He just wanted your kingdom advanced and you to receive glory. And he loved those people around him. He welcomed them in. He connected them. He helped them launch in ministry and he inspired them. I pray that you would lay at least one person on our hearts this week that we can do at least one of those things for, Lord. Somebody welcome in, somebody connect, somebody launch, somebody to inspire. And I pray for anyone in this room that's saying, wow, I don't have anybody doing that for me. That's why life seems so lonely. God, surround them with people. Help them maybe get in a missional community. Talk to one of us about where those are. Help them maybe meet a new friend tonight. 
somebody that would be their Barnabas, Lord. Don't let anybody leave here without that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the ultimate comforter, encourager. Even as we take our offering tonight, Lord, may it be for your glory and your kingdom and to encourage those around us. In Jesus' name.